It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey friends, it's Mark Bittman, host of Food. If you haven't listened yet, we talk about recipes, of course, and a lot about cooking, but also about injustices in the food system and how America's food policy is moving both forward and backwards. We had climate expert, genius, and all-around great guy Bill McKibben, Leslie Nicole, who's Downton Abbey's Mrs. Patmore, and legendary Gullagichi cook Emily Meggett. We've got much more in store for you. Fantastic guests like Alice Waters, Dan Levy, Cory Booker, and Jack Papan, plus our customary recipes and, starting soon, commentary or, depending on the day, rants. Please check us out. I'm sure you'll like the podcast. Thanks. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. How are we doing, everyone? This is an extra episode for the podcast this week, and it's a bit of a special one. Um, I had a half an hour chat with uh, Nick McGeehan, who's director at Fair Square, uh, which is uh, an NGO aimed at helping um, migrant workers' rights out in the Middle East. And I had an in-depth chat with him about Dubai, the ownership of Manchester United, what it would mean for United, what we need to learn and know about Dubai. So I'm releasing it as a podcast as well, uh, because I think there's a lot of information in here that we all need to absorb as United fans. So yeah, uh, it's an extra special podcast episode. If you listen to it, wherever you're listening to it, make sure you drop a five-star review on it. It does really help. And I hope I can do more stuff like this. But yeah, let's get into the episode. Right, how are we doing, everyone? This, um, This, I think, should be... An interesting video uh, and a video I wanted to do. I, there's only so far that my knowledge of Dubai and, and the concept of state ownership goes. Uh, and that's why, uh, thankfully, uh, Nicholas uh, has agreed to talk to me. Me and, me and Nick, I think, spoke spoke a few years ago back when it was um, Saudi with, Saudi Arabia with Manchester United. I remember I was having conversations about it at that point. But the purpose of this conversation here today, it's just going to be just a casual chat between me and Nick to try and offer you a bit of insight into Dubai. You know, why would they want to buy Manchester United? What are uh, what are their intentions? 
is it fair to label all uh, concepts of Middle Eastern states owning football clubs as bad? Um, is there any differences between the two? And also, what kind of what the difference between UAE is and Dubai? Because they're kind of all one of the same. They're all part of it. But Nick, thank you very much for your time today, mate. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Uh, what, what is it, uh, if you want to introduce yourself, what is it that you do um, in, in your job and in your sphere? So I'm the director of an organisation called Fairsquare, which is like a, a human rights NGO. Um, we do a lot of work on, on migrant workers' rights, um, among other things. And, and I guess part of the relevance to, to this debate is, is I got interested in that when I lived in, in the UAE uh, between 2002 and 2006, not in Dubai, in Abu Dhabi, actually. Um, but yeah, my, my interest in, in the region and the issues come, comes from there. Well, um, I didn't actually know you lived there. Was it yeah. nice? Uh, not, yeah. not, not for me. No, not for you. Okay. Um, I don't think it would be for me either. It's good for a lot of people. But mm. that aside, Dubai, what can, you, what can you tell us? Obviously, we know why... Qatar have bought PSG. We know why Saudi Arabia have bought Newcastle. We know why uh, Abu Dhabi, I believe, uh, have bought Man City. Uh, would you expect the exact same purpose and reason to be why the idea could be entertained for Dubai to buy Manchester United? Yes and no, I think. I mean, Dubai's slightly, Dubai's slightly different, right? I mean, you have to understand what the UAE is, right? The UAE is seven semi-autonomous Emirates, right? Dubai is one, Abu Dhabi is another. They're the two most powerful ones. Abu Dhabi is by far the most powerful one. And it has all the oil. Dubai is second in line, if you will. Doesn't have a lot of oil, right? Which is why in the 2000s, the first place in the Gulf region that started to become very known, you know, and very well publicized, people are going there on holiday and such, was Dubai. And the reason for that was that Dubai doesn't have oil and Dubai had an eye on what, what they were going to do when the oil ran out. So Dubai created, um, uh, in, in ways of very ambitious uh, project to turn this little emirate into a, a sort of global hub for, for tourism, for sport, for all sorts of things. You know, Emirates Airlines, for example, it's now, it's now a, a regional hub for, for airlines. A lot of people fly through Dubai. Um, so, um, and Dubai has always been in the spotlight. Right, Dubai is something that place that everybody knows already. It's not like they're trying to. Um, it's not like they're trying to put themselves on the map here because they're already on the map. Um, also, sports washing. This argument about are they trying to deflect attention away from their human rights abuses? Well, not really, because Dubai's never had a whole lot of um, criticism for its human rights abuses. I, I suspect. And again, I don't know too much about the deal, and and you need to caveat all my comments with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I suspect that what Dubai like about Manchester United is the brand, right? Manchester United has, I mean, what is it? The biggest brand in world football, if not the biggest, then well, the second biggest. The it's three, up yeah. there. Right, exactly. Okay. Now, that will be very appealing to Dubai, I think. Um, an emirate which understands really the primacy of, of image and marketing, I think a tie-in with Manchester United would just bring... Um, would just bring obvious commercial benefits, obvious reputational benefits to Dubai um, that 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 uh, that other clubs won't. So in a sense, uh, in a sense, I think it's a little bit about that. You know, um, that's my hunch. You know, it's just my hunch. Um, so yeah, Dubai itself, uh, as far as I can see it from the outside looking in, like it's um, tourism has been a, a massive 
part of Dubai, right? Is that there's a massive expat community from from a lot of countries there. There's a lot of not a lot of people that I know that have gone to live there, but there's far more people that I know have gone to Dubai and, and gone on holiday to Dubai and lived and worked in Dubai than any other sort of region around there. Right. Would you would you say it's it's kind of it, what individual inside inside the Emirates? It, it, it's got its own unique way of working. It does, yeah, and it always has done. Um, for example, you know, there's a lot of antip. Just to give you one example. There's a lot of antipathy in the Gulf region to, towards Iran, right? Uh, right? They tend not to like Iran. Dubai, which is a creek, you know, a sort of small river going into where boats can port, has always had a very strong trading relationship with Iran, right? So that's just one instance of where they, all these individual emirates, they are beholden to Abu Dhabi, right? But Abu Dhabi has all the power, uh, ultimately. Um, but they do tread their own path in certain areas, right? So Dubai's decision to, to diversify its economy into tourism, um, that was its own decision. Abu Dhabi came along a lot later. You know, what you're seeing now in Saudi Arabia when they're trying to do it, that's very much copying the Dubai playbook. So, yeah, they are, they are in many respects a different, um, you know, it has a different character, has a different feel to it. It is, in many respects, more progressive, um, and more open uh, than, than other parts of the Gulf. It always has been. It attracts a very um, cosmopolitan crowd. Um, all sorts of people base themselves in, in Dubai. It's known also as a haven for, um, for, for criminals, frankly, and, and money laundering. Um, you know, the, the boxing promoter, the Irish boxing promoter, for example, Daniel Kinahan, is based in Dubai, and all sorts of Russians and Indian figures from the underworld are also based there. So it's... Um, yeah, it is a very particular place, not just within the UAE, but within the Gulf. And uh, something you mentioned earlier there, you're saying that majority of the wealth from Dubai is not oil-based. Is that where, where, where is the... the so obviously, uh, you can look at um, Saudi Arabia and um, you can look at what they've done with Newcastle or Qatar with uh, PSG and Abu Dhabi with City. With City. And this concept of state wealth, it's oil money, it's, it's blood money, that's where it's come from. Again, would you say that Dubai doesn't fit in? It, it would be unfair to tar everyone with the same brush. Well, it's it's again, it's different. Like you're right, they they have some oil, um, they have some natural gas, but not a whole lot. Not nothing compared to Abu Dhabi. Um, so they they make their money from a lot of money from tourism, a lot of money from real estate, uh, a lot of money from outward investment. Um, um, you know, they have, a, I mean, all sorts of sort of corporations have set up there. They have free trade zones and such. So they have, I think, quite adeptly diversified their economy away from oil. The extent to which it's sustainable, um, I wouldn't know. You'd need to speak to a real sort of a real expert to, to get the lowdown on, on the finances. Um, yeah, it is slightly different. It's not, it's not quite the same. Um, I mean, I would say that broadly speaking, the the motivations for buying a club aren't a million miles away from the other ones. And the business model of Dubai isn't a million miles different from the business model of Saudi Arabia or Qatar. There are differences for sure. Um, I would have the same problem personally with Dubai buying a football club as I would with any state buying a football club. I mean, they're not a state, they're a sort of semi-autonomous yeah, yeah. emirate within a state. Um, I mean, personally for me, no, it's, it's, it would obviously be an absolute no, not just for all sorts of reasons, not least it's human rights record um, and, and, and the inherent problems of that. Um, but yeah, again, just going back to the, to the main point, it's slightly different for sure. Uh, it's kind of doubling down, not doubling down, but sort of sticking on that point there. If um, if there are, and they are out there, there are a lot of concerned United fans about the fact that if Dubai 
or whether it's private uh, Saudi investors were to take over the club, it would um, it would sort of rip a bit of the, the foundations and the culture of what Manchester United has been built up on. What would what would you say are are the the fair points for concern? What what would you say the biggest things about Dubai taking over Manchester? If you if you were a United fan, what what would be the biggest things that worried that would worry you about that? Well, I think there's two things to worry about, right? And you can you can worry about both of them or one of them or neither of them, right? One's the sustainability point, right? Everyone looks at Newcastle and everyone looks at City and thinks, well, that's amazing. You know, this is tremendous. We've got all this money and look at the success it's brought us. The problem is that the ownership of those clubs is subject to geopolitics, right? And geopolitical whims. Both of those clubs could disappear, you know, frankly, because that money can disappear in an instant in an instance because of some sort of change in the, the geopolitical makeup of the world, right? If Mohammed bin Salman loses power in Saudi Arabia, what happens to Newcastle United? Will they keep the club or, or will it just will all that money go and all those players go? Um, same goes for Manchester City. Or if they just lose interest in it, if they decide that owning a football club is not worth the cost anymore, look what's happened at the Qatar World Cup, what's happening right now in terms of how it's being, its reputation is being trashed. Is there going to become a tipping point at which they just aren't interested anymore? It's possible. And then what happens to the club? You know, so you're going to get this success. But on the other hand, is it sustainable? So that would be one concern I have. It's not that these it's not that these clubs are bringing success. It's that these clubs are fundamentally, in my view, destabilizing influences, potentially destabilizing influences. So it's an existential issue for the club. The second one is the second one is what does it mean for the reputation of the club and, and so on and so forth. Now, Dubai, the UAE has a horrendous human rights record. I mean, it's just awful. I mean, Take, take everything that happens in Qatar, right, and add in the sort of the the torture and disappearance of dissidents, right? Add in that really horrendous element to it. I mean, it is a place that I I am banned from. I'm not allowed to go into the country. I'm not alone in that. Many sort of activists and journalists and academics just just can't go there. We're blacklisted because of the work we do. Um, it is, uh, you know, it is a place where. Um, it's a surveillance state. Um, it's a police state. It's a state where migrant workers are treated abysmally. Uh, and my the thing I always say to football clubs is like, is that do you really want your club to be associated with that? Do you really want to have to have battles about disappearance of dissidents, the enslavement of migrant workers, the repression of women? Is that really something that you need to you want going on in your life and that you want in your club? Um, I understand. I understand that the pushback to that is, well, everyone's like that now, so why can't we join on the bandwagon? I get that. Um, I guess my my point is, don't join the bandwagon. Join, join the opposition to that, you know, because we need to get states out of football. We need to get the Gulf states out of football, uh, and if they take over Manchester United, uh, that job becomes becomes a lot more difficult. Do you, uh, do, you, do you think that's even possible now? Do you think that the I mean, obviously it started with City, and I think Qatar was two thousand and eleven. Obviously, Newcastle's happened last year. Whether it's we don't know whether it's going to be United, it's, but with with United, it's um with the figures being banded around the club, you're looking. I mean, it's kind of guesswork at this moment in time, but it's the sale of United will go for somewhere in the region of four and a half billion to probably six there or thereabouts. It will be it will become the most expensive sports franchise ever sold, and there's very finite amount of people that can actually do that um which is it my, my gut instinct is and that's why i wanted to have this conversation with you because mm-hmm. i really need to get my head because my gut instinct is that we're heading towards there 
simply because of the, yeah. the amount of money involved. Yeah, I, I know I agree with you. I, I, I agree with you. The, 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 the trend is that the only people who can now buy these clubs are states um, because they don't need to make a return on the investment. Right? The investment is the marketing. That's where they get it. It's an indirect return they get on it. Um, and yeah, that's the way the game is going. I totally agree with you. And I understand why people are throwing their hands up and going, well, what else? You know, I think I completely get that. But that is why I think there needs to be concerted opposition to that. Like we need to we need to have a serious debate about the game and, and how the game is governed and how the game is funded. And that includes ownership. Um, and until we ha start having that debate, and that, that means government involvement, right? This can't be supporters driving this. Supporters can be amazing allies in this and can, can refuse to accept these things. But it has to be governments and it has to be regu regulators saying, no, you know, we're, we're not allowing this. Um, from my perspective, as I said earlier, I, I, this, I think this would be a disaster for, for Manchester United, um, from my perspective. Um, uh, I also, by the way, I, I'm not sure how on earth the Premier League can pass it. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure in what world it would be okay to have two teams from the United Arab Emirates, not just competing in the same league, but competing in the same city. Uh, the so, politics so you, of that is just... so you say you, you say they have like semi autonomy, but is there still like an over? They kind of semi work together at the same time. Yeah, I mean, well, it's Mohammed, Mohammed bin Zayed is is the is a dictator essentially, right? And there's a little mini dictator in Dubai called um, Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum. Um, so uh, the Mohammed bin Zayed has a lot of control and power over him. I mean, I'll give you an example. You know the. Uh, the Burj Khalifa, you know, the tallest. Yeah. Um, okay, well, it was initially meant to be called the Burj Dubai. Um, but in 2008, uh, Dubai had a financial crisis. Um, now, this was like the, this, 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 this building was going to be the, the epitome of Dubai. You know, it was going to be something that they, they showed all around the world, saying, look at us, biggest building in the world. And Abu Dhabi came in and rescued the project. Yeah. And they said, we'll bail you out. But one of the conditions, is you're naming, not naming it the Burj Dubai anymore. You're naming it after the Burj Khalifa. That's our guy, the Abu Dhabi president. <laughs> so that's why it's called the Burj Khalifa. So it gives you an, an idea what the dynamics are, right? Um, you, you know, the, the, I mean, I, I don't think that you, it should be possible to have Newcastle and, and, and City in the same league, given how close Newcastle, sorry, Saudi Arabia and the UAE are as allies. But to have the, 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 the sort of president of the UAE owning Manchester City, and the Prime Minister of the UAE owning, um, owning Manchester United. I mean, that just seems... Well, well, going a little bit step further than that, the, um, I can't remember his name, uh, the sports minister from Saudi Arabia was interviewed yesterday by BBC and Sky suggesting mm. that the Saudi government would back private investors to buy Manchester United, a.k.a. Saudi Arabia would effectively have control and ownership of that and therefore control and own... Newcastle and Manchester United, which is a ridiculous. Yeah. That's an impossible conflict of interest, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, impossible. And and remember, I don't know if you're if you're aware of this, um, but the, one of the ways that Mohammed bin Salman came to power and centralised power um, in Saudi Arabia was that shortly after he came to power, he got, he gathered together like the most powerful businessmen in in the country, imprisoned them in the Ritz Carlton in Riyadh and basically tortured some of them and did a complete shakedown, stole all their assets, took all their money, took a lot of their power, right? So the business elite in Saudi Arabia are petrified of Mohammed bin Salman, who wields incredible power over all of them. So any private entity in Saudi Arabia that takes control of any club is remains under the effective control of the owner of Newcastle United. Well, I mean, 
the, it's a the lot. Thing, to, it's a lot to chew on. No, it's it, it, it's just a it's just the fact that I can't really unless unless somebody comes out with a, uh, maybe a, a U.S. Uh, equity firm that's sort of consortium made up of like four, five, six owners that can put that sort of money together. And considering the Glazers uh, are American and we're using an American bank, there is a possibility of this happening. But as it stands, I just can't see how anybody can financially compete with Dubai if they want to come in and do it. And that, that's kind of wanna, why I want to have this conversation and, and allow this conversation to go to other United fans because I think it's a quite, it's sort of a quandary that we're trying to get our heads around and it's, and it's, it's kind of hard. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Um, yeah, you're, there aren't many sort of pleasing options available, right? I get it. And, and, I, and I get why Dubai would seem as A, they can afford us. B, are they quite as bad as the others? Uh, and C, you know, is it slightly different model that's, um, or slightly different rationale for the ownership? Um, I, could, I could understand why you'd want to have those, those discussions and, and talk about that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I would say it's generally no less problematic than the other ones um, with some slight differences. Um, but that doesn't get you around the who else, the who else question. Uh, in, in terms of um, uh, what else Dubai, obviously we're talking about tourism is a big part of their industry. Um, Saudi Arabia have their 2030 vision, which is a sort of a big, big part of moving their economy away from just relying on oil. Is there something that Dubai is doing that's sort of similar to that? I mean, maybe not in name, but is it would that be a reason as to why Manchester United again would be such a, a good idea for them? I don't think so. I, I'm not sure if they have a document like that. Abu Dhabi has a document like that. Um, I think Dubai probably got way ahead of the curve. And if they had a document like that, it was published years and years ago. Um, I mean, a quick Google search will probably tell us. Um, but no, it doesn't quite fit the model because remember Dubai was way ahead of all of these, way ahead of all of these states. The reason, the reason no one blinks an eye when Dubai is holding sports events is that via sport and via tourism and such, its reputation has become entirely normalized. Right. If, if Dubai was to hold the World Cup, um, I mean, it, it probably would, it would get a lot of criticism, but it would probably get less than Qatar, right? Because it's already done the hard yards of normalizing its relationship in the West. The West sees Dubai as a fairly liberal and tolerant and progressive place. I mean, it's the number one winter destination for British tourists on holiday. I mean, in terms of the, the seven regions there, it is the most progressive, right? Um. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. It's a place where it attracts a more cosmopolitan crowd, I would say. You, you know, it is, um, in terms of the laws and such, I mean, you can get into the same trouble in Dubai as you will in Abu Dhabi. They, don't, they haven't set the same authoritarian agenda as Abu Dhabi, right? Domestic policy is essentially set by Abu Dhabi. So if you want to look at who's responsible for the, the dark turn that the UAE took around 2012, that's Mohammed bin Zayed, that's Abu Dhabi, yeah? But those laws are still enforced in Dubai because they are ultimately in control of, you know, control of Dubai. Mm. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not a, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look for silver linings necessarily. In, no, I'm, 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 you know what? I probably, I probably fucking am. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I probably am. Like subconsciously, I don't mean to be, but I probably am because I just, at this moment in time, I just can't see another way out um, for, for United fans. And if, um, 
I mean, I suppose... another, another, just, just, to, just to further darken your your mood. On this. Oh, thank you very um, much, mate. Um, I mean, a couple of years ago, he was Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum kidnapped his own daughter. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, Princess Latifa, who who tried to escape from the country on a yacht. You know, using a, a French submariner uh, who who was friends with her gym instructor. I mean, it sounds like a ridiculous tale, but it actually happened. Um, and he he basically got in touch with Indian special forces who had her kidnapped um, off the Indian coast, taken her back home, and nothing's been seen of her since, really. And that's the second daughter he's been accused of kidnapping. And is that um, didn't his wife escape to the UK? And his wife escaped to the UK and and won a court case against him because she was terrified of him and and said that he'd threatened to kill her and such. He was also accused of in two thousand and uh, the early two thousands. I can't remember the precise dates of of a lawsuit accusing him of child slavery. Um, which was filed in Miami and Kentucky. Um, now, he managed to get out of that one um, because of political manoeuvring, but there wasn't much um, uh, There wasn't much of a substantive defence to the actual allegations. So he's, uh, uh, I mean, to say he's problematic isn't really, isn't really getting to just, just what a character he is. What, um, what would you expect to, um, to happen? I'd say, like, the Glazers put, they released a statement on Tuesday saying that they're looking for quote unquote strategic investment opportunities. I think they called it. If Dubai came forward, would you imagine it would probably move quickly from, from a political point of view? Would it, is it something that would have to be going through a lot of hurdles? I mean, how does it even work? Well, again, I'm really not the expert on that. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, no. I, can, I mean, I can point to the Newcastle instance. That was quite interesting. I mean, the, the, the problem that, that Saudi had, and by Newcastle appeared to be the pirating of um, of TV rights. That that seemed to be the sticking block. And once the Premier League was satisfied that that wasn't a problem, they waved them through. The Premier League seemed to be a lot less concerned about the actual owners and directors test than than people stealing their money. Um, so uh, you know, and and look at what happened in terms of the British government weighing in in support of the Saudi bid. I don't think there's any doubt that that Boris Johnson. Um, and others within the government wanted to get that through because we sell them loads of weapons, essentially, and we like doing trade with them. Um, I would not be surprised if similar pressure was brought to bear. Um, in this case, I wouldn't be surprised if Mohammed bin Zayed in Abu Dhabi was keen to see this go through and put a ton of pressure on the British government to make it go through. I don't think the Premier League is a particularly uh, is an organisation that looks robust in terms of being able to put up opposition to it. And of course, who now sits in the Premier League? Well, Mohammed bin Salman and Mohammed bin Zayed, they own two of the clubs. So, so the Gulf states are gaining more and more power within the league itself, and have a lot of um, influence over the British government. So, my my sense of it is that if Dubai really wanted it, it would be very hard to stop. Uh, honestly, that's that's my sense too, which is kind of why I wanted to speak to you. Um, and I, I mean, United have been stung from. I look, there's good owners in football, there's bad owners in football, then there's fucking bad owners in football, uh, and that's the kind of conversation we're having here. Like the Glazers were bad owners, um, yeah. but they weren't human rights abusers. Well, you, and and yeah, sorry. sorry, yeah, I'm just gonna, just going to say that we've been stung by American owners before, and that that kind of scares United fans a little bit about the concept of going back to America for a I don't know like an an American consortium of four or five business when you think, well, this is the same rodeo, isn't it? So that's kind of why we're talking about Dubai. And yeah. I don't know. It, it's, yeah, it's, no, I get that. It's, it's, similar, it's similar to Newcastle, right? It's very similar to Newcastle. You have a club, a fan base that is furious about the way the club has been misgoverned. 
furious way about the disrespect towards the club by these owners. And there's anger and there's this very understandable desire to, to get a better ownership model and to get one that makes people happy about the club again because it's so important to people. I, I, I completely understand that. Um, uh, it makes a lot but, of sense, you know. Yeah, that's, that's a, but then that's the problem is the but. And I, I think that's it's just that if, if, if you were to compare my feelings now in 2022 to 2009 when City were taken over by Abu Dhabi and the disdain that United had, fans had towards the concept of oil money and that coming in, one thing we all have to admit is that in those 13 years, football really has just, they were the sort of the, the trendsetters there and football really has just headed in that direction like a fast train and it's just getting faster and faster and more expensive to get on that train. And right. and if and if it's not a Gulf state, then, it, then it's, or, you know, not telling it's state, whatever you want to call it, then it's going to have to be, so, because it's exactly what you said there. I mean, if Dubai, Dubai bought United, they wouldn't really care about profit. That's not where the success is for them. And it's very, very difficult to find that sort of businessman away from the Gulf state. Yeah, because they, they, yeah, because it's it's like it's like the transfer market, right? They bought sorry, Qatar bought um Neymar, right, for this an unbelievable price, right? And suddenly they they completely inflated the transfer market for everything. And suddenly how many players can afford the how many clubs sorry can afford the top players now? So they that that was them, right? Mm. And this is happening again with the value of clubs, I would say. Although the Todd Bowley thing is I mean, you could argue it was Todd Bowley's two point five billion, which uh, which did that as well. Um but yeah, we've created a situation or rather we've allowed a situation to happen whereby um only these types of people can own clubs. And that's a government issue. Right. And and that's why, I mean, I get your analogy about getting on the train, you know, and we need to get on the train. I mean, my, my thing is, well, we need to like stop the train or blow up the tracks or yeah. change trains, you know. <laughs> ah, like uh, shit. Uh, I, like, I think you can sort of, you can understand the, or, or maybe you can feel the, I think I'm representative of probably a mindset that a lot of United fans are going through right now. It's like, what can we do that isn't that? but still take us back to where we want to be at the top. In terms of ownership or in terms yeah, of what, yeah. do you do, what do you do? Well, in terms of ownership, getting us there because owners owners are the enablers. Owners, uh, The right owners allow you to get back to that top table and we haven't dined there for like 12, 13 years now. Yeah. I mean, it's not easy in the kind of, there's no short answer to it, right? There's no, there's no quick fix to it, I don't think. I mean, the long answer is I think fans need to start mobilising for fan ownership or part ownership of, of clubs you need to start we need to move to a 50 plus one thing like they have in germany that's the kind of thing that actually would protect the clubs themselves in the game um i think we're a very long way away from that um but that's i think what people need to work towards well, united fans have, you might we've already been protesting about that we've already had our banners out about 50 plus one we've been pushing for fan ownership inside the club for a long time we've been promised a fan share scheme about 18 months ago that's fucking come nowhere it's because the glazers just lied to us yeah. And it, again, you're looking at um, like a financial perspective, like Jesus, you know how much money we'd, we'd need to raise as a fan base to be able to do that? It's... Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are answers like MPs, right? I mean, write your MPs and, and, and demand 50 plus one. Look what happened when all the fans in Newcastle wrote to their MPs and demanded the Premier League um, push the sale through, or they said they were worried about transparency. I think something like 80 MPs wrote to them. Now, who asked them to do that? Well, it was Amanda Staveley. Of, of the bid, she understood what fans could do if they used the democratic mechanisms available to them. And that was a really impressive thing. And, and she actually 
in a very Machiavellian and sinister mm. way, managed to get our bid through, partly because of our use of, of, of the UK democratic system. That's one way to do it. I mean, I, again, I'm not suggesting that if everyone just writes, sits down right now and writes to their MP and says, <laughs> I want 50 plus one, that's going to happen. But, but, but fans, I think, fans, the reason these, part of the reason these guys love football is because they know the fan base comes with it. And they understand the influence, the collective influence that fan bases have and the collective power that fan bases have. What happens then when, when they're bought over is that often fans throw up their hands and go, we can't do anything. We're, we're completely powerless. It's not true. You know, individually fans are, are powerless, but collectively they're actually very influential and very powerful um, or more influential and more powerful than they think they are. Let me, let me be more precise about that. So... I feel better after talking to you somewhat, but not particularly uh, because, uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's just, um, I think it's just the way that modern football has gone. And it just feels like United, the latest story and the latest example of something where uh, it was better back in our day, sort of. And that's, that's kind of what it feels like. We're losing grip of something that no matter how many people try and grab onto it, you can't stop it from heading in that direction. Yeah, I get it. I mean, what, one thing I will say is in, in this whole, in this whole Qatar debate, right, which has been quite exhausting and quite depressing at times, one of the, the bright spots for me has been the way that the Bayern Munich fans have behaved. Yes. And have sort of, I mean, it, it, like every time you see those guys, and like young guys in their 20s, the, the ultras, you know, and a small section of the ultras, not, not even the big ultra groups, a smaller one. But the way that they've conducted themselves and the way that they've rallied around that issue without ever supporting, stopping supporting their club, right, They've been they've been ardent supporters of their club and ardent opponents of the way that the club is run and who runs it, you know, and how they've run it. And Qatar's just a sponsor there, so it's slightly different. So there is there are things that fans can do, and there are bright spots in the game. And the bright spots in the game don't come from governors or regulators or sponsors or football associations or owners. It comes from fans, um, and 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 that for me remains a, a bright spot. So if there's a I'm just chucking in some. We, we, we're ending on this note. There's no way we're talking after this. We're ending on a positive there. No, you're right there. What Bayern Munich fans have done that. I remember that when they uh, stormed the AGM. Um, I, can't what, I think that was about Qatar, actually. Yeah. Um, I think it was, uh, was it Uli Hunas when they were trying to get him to answer the questions about it? I think so, yeah. I think it was, yeah. I've got a lot of admiration for what Bayern fans do. But look, Nick, right. Um, thanks very much for your time today. Thanks very much for sort of, I suppose, helping United fans understand what Dubai is rather than just this, you know, place over there in the UAE, you know, what the governance of it is, why they might do it, the ins and the outs and the things that I suppose all of us fans have got to weigh up into, into who we give our support to uh, for the owners. Cause there, there will, I imagine there'll be protests. If, 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 it, if it gets to the point where Dubai might be taken over Manchester United, I'd be extremely surprised if there weren't protests. So I imagine this story has got a lot further to run, but Nick, mate, uh, thanks very much for your time today. And um, <laughs> by the way, I just want to mention, I was talking. I was talking to. I was Nick was. Like, I, I was like, "Have you been, Nick?" And he goes, "Ah, oh, oh, yeah, I'm good." And I'm like, "Where are you living these days?" He goes, "Ah, oh, I'm living in France." And I'm like, "Um, you know, I don't happen to be living in Nice, do you?" Like, yeah, yeah, I do actually. <laughs> we just had a little conversation about Jim Ratcliffe off camera first. <laughs> Doesn't do my reputation as a human rights activist much good when people know that I live in Nice. <laughs> I've ruined it all now. Mm, it's done now. Done. Uh, Nick, I appreciate it. I'll cut that bit out. Don't worry about it. But look, um, <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> look if, if, if I need to lean on you again in the future, I'll drop you a message. But I hope you're doing well, mate. I appreciate yep. you. No worries. No worries. Good to chat to you. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hello, I'm Shelby Scott, the host of Scare You to Sleep, a podcast where I tell you scary stories full of creepy sound effects and music that is soothing yet unsettling to help immerse you into a world of horror. This is a show for those of us who have realized horror can be a strange but relaxing escape from reality. Speaking of escapes, sometimes I lead you through guided nightmares. Like a guided meditation, but instead of flowery meadows, I take you on a journey through your own personal nightmare. So come get lost in the terror with me. Now a proud part of the Bloody Disgusting Network, you can find Scary to Sleep wherever you get your podcasts. Sweet screams. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.